Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Father, as I sit in this small office and 
think about this lesson today and what I have to share. Lord, I just am so aware that you're the great burden bearer. There are many maybe listening today that need you to bear their burden, that need your peace in their lives, that need to experience the peace that passes all understanding. Just as these young men sang about, Father, I just pray that your peace will permeate the words that I speak, the emotions that I express, that it would be your words and your love and your peace that would go out through this airwave, Lord. We're just so, so aware of your presence here. We're so aware that without you, we are nothing, Lord. We're just pieces of clay, Lord. We're just, I'm just a vessel. Father, take these words, take these thoughts that I express and just penetrate the hearts and bring people peace. Lord, hostility makes a demand, but peace removes all that demand. Peace removes that hostility and anger. Those that listen today, tomorrow, and the future, I just pray that you would be the great burden bearer, that you would be the Prince of Peace to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Wasn't that a beautiful song by Band Reeves? They're a group in Texas of two young men that God has given a lot of different wonderful songs to, and that's probably my favorite. I came across that through another friend this past winter, and it just fed my soul and ministered to me at a time where I really, really was in a place where I needed that. And I just really felt the presence of God on that. We've been talking about peace. We've been talking about, how did we say it? Peace is the antidote to hostility. This is lesson two, peace, the antidote to hostility. Let's, let's listen to these words again, these young men saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Lay your burden on my shoulders and rest. Come and find my peace once again. I'll take your heavy load, your troubled soul in my arms, forever strong. As you rest, come rest. Weary heart, I know you're tired. How long will you listen to the devil's lies? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So give me yours. Give me your burden. And you can take mine. <laughs> You've carried the weight far too long. Why would you try? Why do we try to do it on our own? I know every sin. I know every stain. And it's all been washed away. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Lay your burden down on my shoulders and rest. Come and find my peace once again. I'll take your heavy load, your troubled soul in my arms, forever strong. As you rest, come rest. Amen and amen. Let's rest in the Lord today as we break open his word and, and continue on and talk about peace, the antidote to hostility. Let's first start out, and I think we're going to really just, sometimes I think in these studies, I like to dissect the word and break it apart for you. But sometimes I think one of the best things we can do is just read through the Word of God to see what it says, and we'll just read a lot of Scripture today. And first I thought I'd start out and give you the definition for peace in the Old Testament as well as the New, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, the Greek word in the New. They both basically mean the same thing, 
And do you know the word peace is used in the Bible over 400 times? So let's look at that, and then we'll go into something else here. The word for peace in the Old Testament was shalom. You've heard that before. And of course, I think I expressed last week that it was a lot of times in the Hebrew culture, in the Eastern culture over there, the Oriental culture, we would call it, that would always be a greeting they would give one another. And I guess sometimes it got to be road and it just got to be um, a habit. But that, this is really their forefathers, you know, from Abraham on, they really meant what this word entails when they would say it from their heart. When they greeted somebody, they'd say shalom. It means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, prosperity, completeness in number. You know, like if you had a full herd of sheep, you know, a full complement of money, a full complement of food, safety, soundness in the body, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, quiet, tranquility, contentment, peace, friendship in human relationships, and friendship, especially in the covenant relationship with God. And we looked at that in our scripture in Ephesians, we're going to get go back there, that the enmity was taken away from the Jew and the Gentiles, but it was also taken away from man and God, because there was an enmity there. Peace from war, and peace is an adjective, or this in this case, I think we've been mainly talking about peace as a verb. But let's go to the New Testament now. Irene, Irene, Irene is the way you would say that word. A state of national tranquility. Boy, do we need that now, right? I could preach on that for a few minutes here. I won't go off into that rabbit trail. Exemption from rage and havoc of war. Peace between individuals. Harmony, concord, security, safety, prosperity, felicity. Because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. Boy, do we need that. Of the Messiah's peace the way that is that leads to his peace and salvation of Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And they fear nothing from God and they're content with their earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. You know, whether Paul said, I've learned to be a base and to abound. He's learning to be content. The blessed state of devout and upright men after death. Beautiful, beautiful meanings of those of the word shalom and irony in the original language. Uh, let's read our text again, and then we'll, we'll go into some things here. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I'm reading from Ephesians 2, 13 to 17, or we could go through 18. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. Verse 14, for he is our peace, who has made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hostility, some translators say, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make one in himself of twain, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body of the cross, having slain the enmity or hostility thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. You know, he's talking about the Jews 
that were nigh in a certain sense by the covenant of their forefathers and those that are far off the Gentiles. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. That's where we ended up. That's the passage that we're looking at. And I'm just going to break down some notes on that again. I know we went through it last week, but I have some other notes here. You can look at it in a different way. It means a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6. And we're going to get into that, that Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He was the Prince of Peace. And this scripture in Ephesians actually fulfills that. It shows him as bringing peace. Peace is mentioned in this passage three times in Ephesians here, these verses. Paul starts to address Christ's role as the great peacemaker among men. Prince of Peace is a title that strictly belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. In this passage, Jesus is shown to have bridged the widest gap ever between the Jews and the Gentiles. Today and last week, I believe we began to talk about we began to talk about racism a bit. And if there was ever examples of racism, an example, we could say it was the hostility or enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. Like the movie Chosen, it shows that well in the one episode where Jesus wants to go to Samaria and his disciples wanted nothing to do with going there because they hated those people and the Samaritans hated them. A good example of real racism. The Jews really thought they were better than the Gentiles, that they were the superior and favored race of God. Jesus came, of course, and we know he changed all that. All men were equal. All men were one in him when, when his work was done. All right? Paul actually describes and breaks down for us how Christ Jesus makes this true, makes this hostility go away and, and brings oneness. He shows how peace can be brought to any area or relationship of conflict. Breaking this down, we see three mentions of the word peace in the passage. Verse 14 says, He himself, that is Jesus himself, is our peace. Verse 15, he says, he, that is, is God made or created, is the better word, peace. And then verse 17, he came and preached peace. So those are the three mentions of the word. In these three mentions of peace, it shows an outline of how Christ Jesus makes peace or the way that he accomplished it. So, number one, by being our peace. That is, there is a process to obtain peace, to actually bring it about. He made peace. Lastly, there is a means of laying hold or possessing that peace. He preached peace. Underscore this. The process of peace is not just theology or doctrine. It's a reality. I felt it in this room here as I played that young man's song called Come Rest. The peace just enveloped me and enveloped this room. The peace that passes all understanding. The first origin of peace is he is our peace who has made us both one. True peace always results in completeness or oneness between groups, between people. And it's not just, we talked about, I think last week, it's not just laying down swords and guns like over there in Palestine and Israel. That's not really true peace. True peace is not just laying down those weapons and signing a treaty. True peace is really the absence of conflict and the peace that's brought from within that makes people united and makes them one. And it applies to groups like 
friends that are divided or married people or partners that, um, you know, in business that are divided. So that's, that's what we're talking about there. Churches where people have differences of opinion and go their opposite way. God wants to bring peace in all those areas. True peace, not just saying, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get along with each other, we'll put up with each other because we, we go to the same church. No, he wants there to be true peace. According to God, true peace is oneness and harmony, fellowship that brings enjoyment and joy and happiness. That's true peace. Peace among the nations until Jesus Christ returns, will never, will never last. There'll always be somebody at war, won't there? Here Paul tells us in these verses the secret of oneness or peace is oneness. That is, the secret is the person of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. He himself makes a lasting peace because Jesus made peace by his death on the cross. Man wants to deal, like I said, with the issues of conflict, but God wants us to deal with our heart. He starts with the person of Jesus Christ and says, have you considered him? In order to find true peace to occur, you must have a relationship with him that brings you into a relationship with God. And that will bring true peace between people and groups. They must first be at peace, each of the one in the group, with Jesus Christ. It's a matter of, of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. A person cannot make peace till they are themselves at peace. We talked about that. You have to be peace with God. But our promise as Christians is he, that is Jesus, is the one who will bring that peace. So we can then apply his solution and wisdom to any problem. Next, let's look more at the process. Things, Three things that must occur for peace to happen. He's broken down, and we talked about this, the middle wall of separation or the dividing wall of hostility. And he did that through through the crucifixion of his flesh. Also want to say, when they're talking about the middle wall partition, we said it was like a, um, a hedge or a fence, but it could also be a picture because we're talking about hostility broken down between two groups, the Jew and the Gentile, and the other group would be mankind and God. And we talked about that hedge between the Jew and the Gentile like a fence, but we could also talk about in the temple there was that curtain that four-inch curtain that was there between, you know, only the priest representing Jesus Christ could go into the Holy of Holies. And so when Jesus died on the cross, in that hour that he was dying on the cross or that he gave up his life, the curtain by a miracle was rent in two. So now because of the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood, anyone could now enter the Holy of Holies. That's what it's talking about too. He broke down that enmity. He broke down that hostility. Now we have boldness, as Hebrews says, to enter, enter into the uh, presence of God. We don't have to have a priest, other than Jesus, in a way, is, is our priest. He's broken down that middle wall by his crucifixion of his flesh. He creates in himself, Jesus does this, one new man. There were once two, Jew, Gentile. Jew and Gentile. There was racism between them. They hated each other. The Jew thought they were better than the Gentile, that they were more superior because they had the law and the covenant, which we know they kind of fell away from that, and it just became a ritual, right? And he reconciled them both into one new man, a completely different 
man, so to speak. The Great Wall of Hostility finally came down. To this end, the conflict was broken down. The middle wall of separation, the wall of hostility, or the, the curtain in the Holy of Holies was rent in two. Of the court, of the inner court, of the Jews in the temple, they found this when they were digging around there. They were excavating different scientists. This is what the Jews had left there in the court, in the temple there. No man of another—this was before Jesus changed all this— no man of another race is to proceed within. They found this on a rock, inscribed on a rock. No man of another race is to proceed within. The partition and enclosing wall about the sanctuary, that is. Anyone arrested there will have himself to blame for the penalty of death will be imposed as a consequence. In other words, if you went in there and you weren't of the Jewish race, you could be put to death. It's the same thing as told when we're talking about the Holy of Holies and the priest going in. He had to be completely purified. If there was anything impure, he would fall over dead. Or if somebody else tried to go into the Holy of Holies, they would be struck down. Uh, I'm talking about that. Wall, a symbol meaning of, of hostility, of enmity between Jews and Gentiles, between mankind and God. There was aloofness, hate, despising of each other between the Jews and the Gentiles. There's an aloofness between God and man, okay? You could think of the Berlin Wall that came down in 1990 between East Germany and Germany. As Christians, and we face walls. We feel sometimes separation between individuals that nothing can be done. But Paul says Jesus knows how to demolish those walls, and he knows how to we talked about last week, make the law inoperative, as it were, or fulfill the law. But it's also made inoperative by its penalty because of the death of Jesus Christ. The strength of any hostility is the demand. The Jews were arrogant. They, were, they thought they were better than, that they had the law. They thus hated and despised the Gentiles and felt themselves self-righteous, that they were God's people. So Jesus removed that law. Now all are at the same level. Both needed grace, and both needed to learn to forgive. To abolish hostility, one must stop being self-righteous. Self-righteousness always creates hostility. The only way to overcome that is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Create in himself one new man. That's what is needed. God, the Father of creation, creates something complete new, something that's totally better. And that, that's what he's done by his death on the cross. The new man is the church. When we're talking about a new man, that new body, the living, breathing temple of God is what I like to call it. Verses 19 to 22, we'll get into that. That will be another lesson. The word here, create, is teed in the Hebrew. Create, it's something stronger than just to make. Okay, The church was never to integrate, but to be created into new unity, not just integration of groups, but a, a completely new body. No, There will be no race, no yellow, no red, no black, no white. Everybody will be one in Christ. Remember last week I told you about my friend's vision of the wedding, that it was a rainbow wedding, that all nationalities from all parts of the globe would be at this great wedding between them, Jesus and his bride. No hostility. It was all lay, been laid down. Ultimate peace comes with God. We are to see each other as different before God. 
We all need forgiveness, whether we thought we were the favored people of God or the Gentiles. The means of processing peace. Jesus preached peace. He believed and he preached it to the world. Two steps to preaching of this peace or processing this peace. To believe that you have no more right standing with God in your own strength, in your own abilities, like the Jews thought they did. And through him, know that we must come and lay our lives down to him or through him and down before him to have access with God, to have an audience with Abba. You know, that's, I think that's what verse 18 is talking about. For through him, we both have access by one spirit. And we talked about that last week. By, it gives us an audience with royalty is kind of the picture there because we've given uh, ourselves through Jesus Christ to God and we're brand new. That is uh, what we've been talking about today. There's, there's so much more here to go through. I believe next week we will come back one more time because I haven't even got into the word study on peace. I haven't even got into the word study. There's so many beautiful, beautiful scriptures here. One of my favorites, I'll just read to you, Isaiah 26.3. Maybe we could close out with this. You will, Abba, that's what he's talking about. Abba will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him or you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You will keep him in perfect peace, the original says, whose mind is leaned into you because he trusts you. Are you leaning in today like the brothers sang about? Are you giving him your heavy burden? Are you giving him your heavy burden? Weary heart, I know you're tired. How long will you listen to the devil's lies? Give me yours, your burden, and you can take mine. You've carried the weight far too long. Why would you try to do it on your own? I know your every sin. I know your every stain. It's all been washed away. Why do we think, you know, why do we, all of us, so many times, I'm just going off here, but I just feel this on my heart. I've done it so much. I've been a Christian since I was in diapers, and I'm 60, going on 66. But I still sometimes fall into the trap that I have to get good enough before I can go into the presence of Abba. That's such a lie of the devil. That's that, that's that burden that's laying on you of sin. And why would you do it all on your own? The brothers sang, you know, why do it all? Come to me. I know every sin. I know every stain. Wow. Well, let's read a story and then, then we'll pray. And that will be our lesson today. Peace, the antidote hostility, part two. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Philippians 2, 7-8. That was the self-condensation or condensation of Jesus Christ. He emptied himself out of all that he held of value in his life. And this says, Paul is the mind of Jesus Christ. And it's saying, in your quarrels with one another, have this attitude toward each other. Do not hang on to your own rights at all costs. How apropos this is in these days when we hear so often, I want to cling to my own rights. I have my own rights. I insist on them. But how different is Christ's example? In this connection, I can never forget the incident that Dr. H.A. Ironside used to relate. When he was a boy of only eight or ten years of age, his mother took him to a business meeting of Christians. 
Two men were having a quarrel. He didn't remember what it was all about, but one of them stood up, pointed at the desk, and said, I don't care what the rest of you do. See, this was a church meeting. I don't care what the rest of you do. All I want is my own rights. Sitting in the front row was a dear old Scottish man, somewhat hard of hearing, who cupped his hand behind his ear, leaned forward and said, Aye, brother, what's that you say? What do you want? The fellow said, Well, I just said, All I want is my rights. That's all. And the old Scot replied, Your rights, brother? Is that what you really want? Your rights? If you had your rights, you'd be in hell. Lord Jesus didn't come to get his rights. He came to get the wrongs, and boy, did he get them. The fellow who had been bickering stood transfixed for a minute. Then he sat down and said, You're right. Settle it any way you write, you like. And in a few minutes, the argument was settled. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who gave up his rights and humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wow. And that gets into the message that we've been hammering home these past two weeks, you know, that what hostility, what is the antidote to hostility but peace? And hostility always has a demand. You know, we have to have our rights. We have to have what is ours. But, you know, Jesus gave up his rights, you know, and died on the cross. And we can come into that same place where we can put others before ourselves because we have a relationship with God where there's no more disunity, but there's only harmony that has been brought about and peace has been brought into a situation. True peace, not just surface peace, but true peace that comes from a heart that has been enlightened by the love of God, you know, and we're no longer, we're no longer apart. But even if we don't agree on things, we have a oneness because Jesus gave up his rights we can come into a place of unity with others, of peace and harmony. That's what we're talking about. So next week, we want to come back for a third lesson because I really want to, I spent a lot of time just going through scriptures on peace. And I think that's what we'll do. We'll just read those passages on peace. Maybe we'll play the brother's song again because I so love that song. So, Father, we just lift up this time to you, this lesson that we've had. Lord, you're the great burden bearer. You are the Prince of Peace. May we truly fix our minds and hearts on you and lean into you, the Prince of Peace. You will give us perfect peace when our minds are leaned into you. May everyone that listens today, tomorrow, in the future have that peace that you, you so desire them to have, that peace beyond all understanding. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guybe. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.